This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I'm joined by my pal Aaron from the website Loud Sound Epicenter, and we discuss an epic matchup. It's Cinderella versus Poison. Yes, we pit the classic albums against each other. We put the original members against each other. At the end, we tally up the points, and we crown the ultimate glam metal champions. Well, hey, speaking of 80s glam metal, check out me and my buds on YouTube doing a ripping cover of Runaway by Bon Jovi. Well, now it's time for a battle that's more epic than Batman versus Superman. It's crazier than Godzilla versus Kong. It's Cinderella versus Poison, and it's time for you to check it out. Well, Aaron, welcome to the 80s glam metal cast, man. How you been? Hey, I've been well. Thank you for inviting me back. Hey, no problem, man. We did a great episode. Jeez, I won't say it's almost a year ago. We put a rat against Dokken, and it was a pretty you know, even matchup. There was a lot of similarities between those bands. And this time, man, I feel like we've got the perfect matchup to do. We're going to do Poison against Cinderella. What do you think? Yeah, I can't wait, man. There's definitely a lot of similarities with these two bands, for sure. Big time, big time. But before we jump in, uh, tell everybody about what you do. You've got your website, Loud Sound Epicenter. Tell everybody about that and what you're doing right now. That's right. So it's become a YouTube channel. It's also called Loud Sound Epicenter on YouTube. I do some commentary on there. And then I'm active on Twitter at AaronWriterAC. So that's where you can find me. Awesome, man. Best of luck with all that you're doing with that. So back to these guys. You know, these kind of are like the 80s glam metal kings, in my opinion. You know, but for bands that kind of came out in 86, you know, they were the bands that had the image. You know what I mean? They really were driving that glam image, the glam sound. MTV was loving these guys. I know you're a younger guy. You didn't catch this while it was happening. I did. Um, did you like both these debuts and this uh, everything they came out with when they when they hit the scene? Yeah, I did, and it was one of those things where I think they really outdid the image because that was the thing that was so loud from my perspective. But you know, a lot of these bands are a lot more got a lot more going on. You know, specifically with Cinderella kind yeah. of changing sounds halfway through their career. So I just think that these bands have a lot to offer in the same way that Doc and Rat did when we were talking about them. Yeah, yeah. So a couple similarities that I've got marked down here. So they're both from Pennsylvania, which is pretty interesting. Both came out in 1986. Both were multi-platinum bands, uh, both loved by MTV in the 80s. They both became headliners right around their second album, and really both infused blues into their styles. Uh, Cinderella may be a little heavier than Poison, but Poison did it as well, and they really started to shed their glam image uh, about their second album, both of them. They kept just toning it down, toning it down with every album. So a lot of things are alike about these guys. Yeah, that's right. They... Uh... I didn't realize how many similarities there were. That's right, 86, and so that's very strange. But uh, I think Poison was more consistent with their sound, whereas Cinderella kind of started to try different things halfway through. So that definitely does influence uh, which band I prefer. So So for the listeners, what we're going to do is we're going to pit each of their albums against each other. We're going to work backwards, and then we'll pit the individual members against each other and then we'll see what we're working with with the total, and we'll see who wins this uh, epic glam metal battle. Nice, nice. Perfect. All right, so we're going to start backwards with their studio albums. We're just going to go with the four main albums that the bands did. So we're going to start with Native Tongue. We 
And I gotta tell you, man, I love Native Tongue. I think this is one of their best, even though it's a big time departure. And when we talk about infusing blues into the sound, this is the one where Poison went full on blues rock for this one. And then, you know, obviously bringing Richie Kotzen in was a big change to the sound. But I like it, man. You know, I think it has some of their coolest songs. I love Until You Suffer Some. I think it's one of their best ballads. But they've got a lot of fun songs, too. They've got Body Talk, Riot Child Ride, Seven Days Over You. And how about Stand? Stand was, I'm telling you, Stand was shocking for me when that came out. You know, here's Poison, you know, with gospel singers singing with them and everything. It was it was definitely a departure album, man. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I remember The Scream was the standout for me. That's when I realized mm-hmm. that this album was going to be very different. But I still liked it. I think it's very underrated. A lot of this stuff still holds up, even if it is different from their sound. Yeah, you made a great point, man. It really did uh, stand up. You know, and the problem was for a lot of us, either some people just kind of gravitated away from Poison, moved on to different styles. Maybe with Stand, you weren't really sure what was going on there and you stayed away from it. But I think most people who finally, you know, checked out the album, you know, realized that it's really cool, a lot of interesting stuff. And the musicianship is on a high level. I mean, especially you listen to Ricky Rocket and Bobby Dahl, you know, compare their performances on this to the debut. There's Really, actually, no comparison. Yeah, that's right. How about still climbing, man? What do you think about still climbing? So, still climbing for me. This might be surprising. A lot of people probably checked out by this point, but I had put this as you said with uh, with Poison. This is up there with one of my favorite Cinderella albums mm. because I just think that they really came into their own. A lot of classic tracks on here from Bad Attitude Shuffle. Talk, talk is cheap. They actually played in like '87. Yes. But uh, didn't make it onto an album until, you know, way after. So I just think there's a lot of standout tracks on here. I think a lot of people would like it, too. Yeah. You know, one thing I'll give this album, the award for the best production. I mean, obviously, this makes sense because we're talking about an album that was made, you know, almost 10 years after the debut. So, of course, it's going to sound a lot better. So the technology really caught up with things, and it sounds really good. Um, the sad thing about this album is there was literally no promo for it. Like this, I mean, being out there alive when this was all happening uh, and, and, and listening to music, this album just came out. This probably was a contractual thing that they just had to puke out the, their last album. The label didn't care. They didn't promote it. There was no videos. I don't even know if there were singles. Maybe there were, but... Uh, radio wasn't really clinging on to any of them. For me, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I do like it too. I think they brought back a little bit more of the heaviness to their music, where they, they really lost the heaviness on Heartbreak Station. I feel like the metal aspect is back a little bit. But um, I got to tell you, man, I think this is some of the, for me, I think it's some of their just most weakest, non memorable songs. Like, I know they weren't trying to write hits. And I think the songs are really cool. I do like Bad Attitude Shuffle, All Comes Down, uh, Blood from a Stone. Just super cool songs. Even the the title track, um, Still Climbing, is a cool song. But I don't hear the hooks and the melodies that I got from maybe some of their previous efforts. So for me, like I, I don't feel the songs are as strong or they're not what I'm used to. Uh, coming from Cinderella, but that's that's just my take on it. Yeah, you're, thank you for reminding me. It is a lot heavier and definitely different from the 80s style, so I can definitely understand how it's uh, different from that perspective. So I think I know where you're going with these two albums. So uh, is Still Climbing your pick? Yes, yeah, Still Climbing is my pick against Native Tongue. Okay, uh, in mine, you're probably going to guess correctly, is Native Tongue. <laughs> so that's my, that's my pick for that one. Uh, I really, really like, I, like I said, I don't dislike 
still climbing. I just think it's their weakest effort. I really like Native Tongue quite a bit. I, I almost think it, I don't know if it's their strongest, but it's up there. You know what I mean? It's got a lot of high quality music. And Richie Kotzen, one thing I didn't mention, he's a great singer. He sings a lot of uh, backups on this. And, and his voice really stands out. He sings a lot higher than Brett Michaels does. It really helps the sound, changes the sound. Yeah, that's right. I remember Richie listening to some of the live tracks on a, another uh, later Poison album. That's right. That's uh, definitely a standout. Okay, so let's work our way to 1990. Flesh and Blood against Heartbreak Station. Uh, let's lead off with Poison. What are your thoughts on Flesh and Blood? Yeah, man, this is, even though it's still got, you know, Unskinny Bop, a lot of the commercial stuff, there's still plenty of, like you said, that blues influence yep. really continues after Open Up and Say Ah, so I, I really dig a lot of these songs. This one, man, I'm going to have to say is probably my favorite Poison album. Some people prefer the, the earlier two, but I think this is just them, you know, coming into their own. Like you said, there's there's the stuff like Unskinny Bop, Flesh and Blood, that kind of harken back to like the fun poison of the earlier albums. But there's a lot of depth on this album. You know, when you listen to um, something like Life Loves a Tragedy, Something to Believe in, this isn't your typical fare, you know, <laughs> what these guys usually sing about. And um, I think the musicianship is really high level, especially, man, I'm telling you, if, if you have, if you question the ability of Ricky Rocket, go back and listen to Valley of Lost Souls, man. He's kicking ass on this album. And I went back and I listened to this album last night to get ready for this. And it was, it's kind of raw, man. Even for an album that's like a big multi-platinum album, there's some rawness and there's, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And I think CC's spot on. I mean, as we'll get as we get going here, it'll I'll reveal it. I'm a big Brett fan. I, I think he's got a cool, distinct voice. I just think these guys are all spot on. And I think what you've got here too, uh, and I, I think this is the trend that I see with Poison is Poison has really, really strong singles. Obviously, when you're selling multiple platinum, you know you're going your albums are going multiple platinum. You've got strong singles, and I think they really show on this album uh, too. So I, I really think. They've got some cool stuff going on. Yeah, and this album specifically, they had, I think, about five of them. And the other standout you didn't mention was a Ride the Wind. So a lot of up-tempo, just feel-good music on here. So I definitely I, support it. I love Ride the Wind. That, you know, I'm, I, I should have mentioned that when I've got that written down. I love Ride the Wind. And one thing that happened with this album, and I don't really understand it. I really don't understand it with either of these albums where it happened. But the, the cover had to be edited because... Uh, it was Brett's tattoo, or so, I think it's Brett's. One of the guy's tattoo is, that says flesh and blood. I'm pretty sure it's Brett. It looks like there's kind of like blood dripping down from flesh and blood. And some retailers didn't like that for some whatever reason. I don't think it's that offensive, but um, they, they got rid of it. They took the blood drippings off, and it's just more of a clean tattoo on, on a, like later uh, issues of it. Yeah, I was curious because I think I have the edited version of it, mm -hmm. so I didn't realize what the what the original controversy was. I know that even like Striper had some, uh, some problems with retailers, so that's, yeah. uh, that is interesting to, to know. Okay, well, how about Heartbreak Station? This is definitely... Uh, this is a big departure if you put it up against night songs. What do you what do you think of Heartbreak Station? Yes, as you said, this is definitely a departure and I remember reading that it's uh it's Tom Kiefer's favorite and to tell you the truth, it's actually my least favorite of the ah, four. I yeah. think that it's 
a little too country leaning in some places, like uh, one for rock and roll. Yep. Even though it starts off pretty strong with the first two tracks, very uh, there's even some funk stuff on the second track. Yep. Very interesting beginning, but it just eventually delves into the you know uh, country leaning blues side, which was a bit much for me. I remember I bought this album when it came out, and I remember thinking like, "Whoa, I don't really know if I like this." <laughs> and then, and then, okay, but then on the flip side of it. Uh, what would tend to happen with me, and I'm sure a lot of uh, old timers like myself could can relate to this, is once you bought an album back in the day, you're pretty invested because you probably paid anywhere between 15 and 17 bucks for the CD. So, so you were in, that was a lot of money at the time when you were a kid. You were invested, so you would play that thing over and over again until you really got into it. And uh, I can remember many times being a kid, listening to this on my discman uh, in the backseat of my parents' car, and I really got to know this album and got to love it. But what I will say is as an adult, which is strange, this sometimes this can go either way. I don't like it as much as I did when I got into it as a kid. I really feel like they went off the path way too far with this album. I think it's got strong singles. You know, I, I think Shelter Me is really strong. Uh, More Things Change and Heartbreak Station. I think they're, they're pretty strong singles. Uh, strangely enough, that those were the only three singles. So it's kind of weird when you think that, you know, Poison, as you said, I think had five singles, kind of following like the Dr. Feelgood formula. And then this one did not have as many uh, singles. And if it, I'm going to talk about this later. I don't want to steal my own thunder, but these, um, you'll see it with the sales. This did not sell as well as Flesh and Blood did. Um, so maybe even fans were, were detecting like this was a little bit of a departure. They, you know, strangely enough, they, they ripped off a bad company on a song. Uh, the song Electric Love. So anybody, if you're not super familiar with Bad Company, uh, go back and listen to Rock Steady. It's very, very, very similar. So like I said, you mentioned it. It's got some southern rock, country overtones, and, and things like that. So they're really letting that side show. Dead Man's Road is really cool. That that one is such a. It's more of an epic track. Love's Gone Bad is really is really cool too. But you know, I kind of like one for rock and roll. I kind of. It's weird. It kind of starts off kind of twangy, and then at the end, dude, it goes into like a reggae beat. It's really, it's very weird. It's very interesting. I give, I give them credit. It took balls to make that album. Yeah, I could definitely hear. There's a lot of uh, trial and error with a lot of these songs. It sounds like this is them really trying to spread their wings and try new stuff. Yeah. So I think I know where you're going with this one, but let's hear it. What, Poison or, or Cinderella? Well, to be honest, overall, and since Flesh and Blood does have more songs, I think I am going to lean with Poison on this one. Yeah! So we're both with Poison on that one. Cinderella gets no votes from either of us. Very, very, very interesting. All right, so now, let's face it, we're getting into the band's prime albums, you know, where they were at their peak, where they probably sold the most records. 1988, once again, right? We're seeing a trend. 90. 88, 86, you know, for at least for those albums, they were right in sync with each other. And honestly, they probably would have been in sync with each other for Still Climbing, but um, Kiefer had some vocal issues that kind of, you know, put that album's, uh, delay that album a little bit. Oh, is that right? I didn't realize. Yeah, he yeah. lost his voice completely uh, somewhere in, in the making of the Still Climbing album. They kind of had to wait for it to come back. almost think he may have had a surgery or something like that, but... But now I'm I'm skipping back to that. I gotta I gotta work my way back here. Gotta stay focused. Okay, open up and say ah. Uh, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so open up and say, uh, like you said, the, the blues rock is really starting to blend nicely with the glam, and so I think this has a lot of like great tracks, and even from the beginning with Love on the Rocks, which might be my favorite, I love but it. even underrated stuff like Back to the Rocking Horse and Good Love, just a, a lot of great stuff that's bluesy, but also still uh, accessible to glam fans. Yeah, I mean, once again, you've got to talk about the Poison singles, and, and these... This album contains their two biggest songs. I They've got to be their two biggest songs. Nothing But A Good Time and Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Those songs are their biggest songs. And, you know, they kind of helped to push this album to be the big seller that it is. Um, I love those songs, but, you know, they're they're really um, burnt out with them. If I never heard them again, it'd probably be okay. I, Fallen Angel still is pretty cool. I think that's an interesting, uh, you know, glam rocker song. I, I love that song. Uh, Mama Don't Dance whatever you know what i mean it's okay um but i'm with you man (laughs) love on the rocks is probably my favorite song on here i also like look but uh look but you can't touch um but some of the other ones man like when i go back i i don't really want to hear back to the rockin's horse or good love or any of that stuff so so this album as much as i loved it as a kid and it's definitely an upgrade i think from the debut when it comes to songwriting and and sound quality but um you know, I don't go back to this one very often. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it is definitely rare for me too. This wouldn't be my go-to album either. So it is, uh, it is interesting to kind of see them get more commercially successful, but maybe not uh, reaching for this one when I want to listen to Poison. No, me either. Long cold winter. Yes, okay. Long Cold Winter. So this is uh, a big shift for me because I was kind of surprised with the bluesy sound with uh, uh, Bad Seamstress Blues. But you know what? I think on this one it works. It didn't work for Heartbreak Station for me personally, but I think on this one it's definitely a nice balance of the glam and the blues yeah man i i love this album uh i saw them on this tour and it was just an amazing show it was them with um winger and bullet boys what a freaking killer, killer triple bill man and i just remember like tom Kiefer coming down on the piano and everything from from the ceiling it just was it just was a cool show and it, it's a great album and one thing that I was kind of talking about with the Poison is Poison's got the strong singles, but some of the deep tracks are kind of whatever. This album has great deep tracks, and it has great. It's got it's got everything. It's just a complete good album. So I'm wicked into it. You know, Gypsy Road's great single. Obviously, don't know what you got till it's gone was huge. Coming home, really cool. You know, like a acoustical rock type song, and um, even the songs that weren't released are like super cool. Second Wind, uh, Fire and Ice. Yeah, and you're right. This was that perfect mix of the blues, you know. They put just a little bit in there. It was really cool. And then I think they just went off the deep end when they did Heartbreak Station. But I love this album. Um, I'm just going to say it right now. I'm giving this one to Cinderella. How about you? I am also giving it to Cinderella easily. All right. So the debuts. And one thing we can def... Oh, wait. We got to just mention this. For some reason, somebody found that cover of the Poison one to be offensive and they had to block off the face and just have the eyes of the the tiger tongue girl or whatever that was on the cover. So well, another one. Weird. Today, that wouldn't phase anybody, you know? Yeah, that's right. I think that one is also censored on my version, so yeah. that's funny to see. Just the eyes. Okay, back to these debuts. The covers. Iconic covers, right? You've got these guys in their biggest mode of glam ever you know it doesn't get any more stereotypical 80s glam 
then look what the cat dragged in and night songs at least with the look of the band so once again we'll start with poison what are your thoughts on look what the cat dragged in Yeah, I was surprised first going into this. Like you said, I looked at the cover and I didn't think that there was going to be any heaviness to be found here. But I was pretty surprised. Specifically, the title track won me over a lot uh, back in the day. And then uh, some of the other singles I thought were a little cheesy. I, I think I agree with what you said for open up and say, oh, I think that applies here. There's a lot of, you know, cheesy stuff that mm -hmm. may be a little cringy. But it's uh, definitely uh, surprising, surprisingly good when I listen to most of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no doubt that this is a, a glam metal classic. You know what I mean? We, we, there's there's nothing I can say that can change that. Uh, it's definitely raw. You know what I mean? It's not overproduced. It was done on a very small budget, and it made a lot of money, which was a good business decision for everybody involved. Once again, super strong singles. Cry Tough, Talk Dirty to Me, I Want Action, I Won't Forget You. Um, another song that kind of came into its own over the years is Look What the Cat Dragged In because that wasn't released, but you know it's always been a live staple. Things like uh, Hair Nation have picked up on that song and played a lot. But I got to say, man, once again, for me, Poison not delivering on the deep tracks, you know, number one bad boy and let me go to the show. They're not bad, but they're just not great. You know what I mean? So it, they're just they're just there. You know, it's okay. But like you, you said, it kinda, I feel the same way. Loved it as a kid. But when I go back, I'm kind of, you know, some of them are just like, eh, just kind of whatever. You know, they're just, they're not huge. Not a lot of huge standouts besides the singles for me. Exactly. No, I, I totally agree. Okay. Night songs. What do you think? Nice one. So for this, uh, maybe more so than the Poison album, this one really surprised me with how heavy, especially it's with heavy. that opening title track. I mean, Night Songs to me, is that's always stuck out of my mind when I was getting into glam metal, and then it just keeps delivering. Even with, you know, ballads like Nobody's Fool, I just, I was totally won over with the fact that these guys could just have a nice hard rock sound that uh, wasn't really cliche, I don't really think at all, compared to uh, Poison by comparison. Yeah, this is an awesome album. I mean, I don't even know if it's either this or Long Cold Winter for me for what their best album is. I'm not I'm not really sure what to go with, but you know, this this has the deep tracks. Once again, and this has the singles. Actually, probably the singles they didn't maybe they weren't as catchy and as as cool, you know, as Poisons. Poisons definitely I think did better, you know, on MTV and all that kind of stuff. But but this is definitely, you know, Nobody's Fool was huge. Uh, Somebody Save Me was big. Uh, Shake Me was a single, but it really didn't do much. Kind of similar to Poison. Poison released Cry Tough, and it didn't do much. Shake Me really didn't do much. So it's kind of interesting to look at both of those. Um, these albums took a little while to really pick up. Yeah, I, I love this album. I, I, I actually prefer this, I think, this heaviness uh, of this album over the blues stuff. Maybe just a little bit. Just super cool deep tracks, man. Back Home Again, Push Push, and From the Outside. It's just classic, and you're right. Night songs is super like a slow, heavy type of a song, and it feels like they played that early in their set, and they had all the lights with the purple smoke, and I'll never forget it. It was just so epic. It's an epic track, and just just a classic debut. Yeah, and for me, one of the standouts was "Once Around the Ride," definitely yeah. metal leaning as the others. So I'm assuming we're both going with Cinderella on this one. Yes, you are right. Yes, night songs. Okay. So where we stand right now, five. So Cinderella's got five, and Poison has three. 
So that's that's kind of where we stand right now. So poison is a little bit of a deficit. So let's talk about each individual member. And we'll talk just about the original members because there was a couple guys that filtered in toward the end in both bands. But for the most part, they've had a, a stable lineup that, you know, all reunited, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Let's just go with the singers, man. Brett or Tom? This is tough. Yeah, you know, I know that, uh, you know, Brett Michaels, he is, uh, you know, probably underrated compared when he's uh, compared with all the other glam singers. But you know what? I really like the uh, the grit that Tom Kiefer provides. I think I'm going to go leaning towards Tom because uh, I just think it's a bit more raspy, a bit more blues, a little bit more of an Aerosmith style. So I think I'm going to go with Tom. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's definitely an Aerosmith thing uh, and ACDC to an extent. You know what I mean? So I think that's what Tom brings to it. Obviously, I think he kills Brett when it comes to the range. Obviously, he sings really high. But you know what? I'm going to go with Brett because ever since I was a kid, there was something cool about the sound of his voice. Obviously, he had a cool look and everything. I'm going to go with Brett. I just He's got more of a character voice and in, in re- almost like a crooner. You know what I mean? Like he's not, he can't, he doesn't sing super high and neither does Alice Cooper. And and in some respects, not that he sounds like Alice Cooper, but it's just that type of a voice. It's distinct. It's like a character, like a crooner. I dig it, man. And it's very glammy. You know what I mean? It kind of personifies glam, like the kind of that whiny, you know, voice, kind of voice that he has. And, uh, I dig it, man. I, I, he, I'll be honest. There's, you know, I've always sung off and on in my life and that's somebody who I always tried to emulate. And uh, I'm going with Brett, and he's he's definitely unique. I like him. Yeah, he's definitely more true to the to the glam merit. So that does make sense. Let's go to drums. Fred Corey or Ricky Rocket? You know, honestly, you know, no disrespect to Ricky Rocket. You know, I do recognize that he's uh, not always put up there with the greats. But you know, Fred Curry does have a, an extensive discography, and so I uh, I do kind of see him as a more well-rounded drummer. Definitely a little bit more prominent, especially in Cinderella. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna have to go with Fred. I just think he's uh, he's got the talent a little bit more. Well, here's where we're gonna differ again. I'm definitely going with with Ricky Rocket, and and I'll say this. So for Fred Curry, the only album that he's on is a Heartbreak Station. He's not on any other Cinderella album, so it's hard to gauge because the two albums that are really, really that I really, really like by this band, he's not on them. So it makes it kind of tough. And uh, not saying that the drumming is bad on Heartbreak Station, but as we said, Heartbreak Station is more of a scaled back album, so we're not getting like some crazy drum performance. Uh, Ricky Rocket, as much as he may have not been out of the gate some spectacular drummer, I think he had um, a pretty distinct sound of what he did and the way he did it. He was he's very visual, you know what I mean. He does a lot of uh, you know spinning the sticks and and moving around and, and putting his hand up, if, you know, while he hits the snare and all that kind of stuff. I can I can see that in my head. And like you said, if you like we were talking about with some of those later albums, if you look back and you go from like the first album to the stuff he was doing on Flesh and Blood and on um, Native Tongue really underrated and i think he's really developed you know so i've got to go with ricky rocket man I, I i think he's really unique and i think he really put out some crazy interesting stuff uh especially on those later albums yeah no i definitely got no shade against uh against ricky but yeah it is close 
All right, let's go with the base players here. This this is going to be tough because no offense to either of these guys. They're competent, but I don't really think the base was ever in the forefront of either of these bands. So by just by flip of a coin, man, who, who are you going to go with? Yeah, you know what? You are right. I agree. It's a little bit hard to pick out. Uh, I'm going to give it to Bobby Dodd. Nice. Uh, I just think he's a bit more prominent. I can probably identify it a lot more closer as opposed to uh, Eric Brittingham. It's just I don't really hear it there. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know what I mean? I, I think... I think Bobby, same as Ricky, uh, the bass was kind of coming out more when you listen to Flesh and Blood and Native Tongue. Um, you know, obviously one of his most famous bass lines is probably somebody uh, who just started to play bass could play, right? With <laughs> skinny You know, it's just a one note. Yeah. Brittingham is solid. You know, he, he does a nice job with the backups and, and everything that he plays works. I think he had a cooler look when he came out. I mean, that dude had some pretty rocking hair like in 1986. So just based on that initial image alone, I'm going to go with Eric Brittingham. So I'll give it I'll give it to him. Yeah, you know, that is true. I kind of forget that, that part of it. Yeah, it is a bit more visual too. Yeah, he, he had the good visual. Both of them had pretty good stage presence. But something about that that huge blonde hair, man. He had the look. All right, now this is this is where we, you know, we'll end with the lead guitar players. And, but here, this is tough, and I'll tell you why it's tough because. Tom Kiefer is essentially the lead guitarist in Cinderella too. You know what I mean? Because especially if you look through as these albums progress, Jeff Labarde did less and less guitar solos uh, through Cinderella. So Tom is more known as the vocalist, but he does a lot of the leads. So. Jeff Labar or C.C. DeVille, man? Who are you going with? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, yeah, Tom does. He's a bit more prominent in that role. But I do think uh, I think Jeff Labar overall is uh, – I'm going to give it to him. You know, I think C.C. is very underrated. I don't really see him as a, a fill-in or anything. I think he is very talented, and he was listening to all the right bands. But I just think Jeff Labar, as far as the albums that I've listened to more, I think uh, I lean more towards Jeff. Yeah, I'm going to go with CC on this one because I just think CC has a pretty obnoxious way of playing. Uh, it's you know a lot of those squeals and the bends and the whammy bars and all that kind of stuff. It's really flashy and it's really uh, it's just raunchy, man. I like it and uh, I think it fits the music perfectly. As soon as you hear it, you know who it is. No disrespect to Jeff Labar. He did a lot of cool solos, tasteful stuff, like stuff on um, Coming Home. He does that solo. It's very tasteful, but maybe not as in-your-face. And I think for this kind of music, in-your-face kind of works. But I'm telling you, I don't know, man. Have you seen what CC looks like today? He posted a picture of himself uh, a few days back on Instagram. He has a big-ass brown beard. You can't really see his hair, but... He the way he looks today is a far cry from the CC of 1986. That's right. I did see that picture, and I'm curious if he can still play because uh, if he can still do it, then that's pretty cool. You know, if he's still shredding. Yeah, and um, you know, rest in peace, Jeff Labar. Jeff, you know, was a great talent. Uh, you know, really a great utility guy because he could do backups and he could play rhythm and he could do uh, the leads. He did everything, and it, and while doing all of that, he was still flipping his guitar around. You know, spinning it. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, he definitely had the style, the swagger. So, yeah, I do definitely see the appeal. Now, were you able to catch any of these guys live in recent years? Or have you, have you watched concert videos? Or what, what do you think of their live performances? No, I think, uh, yeah, you know, I do definitely agree with you that Poison definitely had the aesthetic. They had the energy. I can imagine, you know, even if people don't admit it today, you know, that was still a, a pretty cool concert, you know, them sliding outside of the tongue in the, uh, the 80s. <laughs> the 80s aesthetic 
And, uh, you know, Cinderella, too, opening up for David Lee Roth, coming out with the Aerosmith style. Yep. I just, all the videos I see, man, it just looks, it just looks really awesome. I was lucky to catch both of these bands, you know, similar eras. I caught, um, like I said, I caught the Long Cold Winter Tour in 88, and then I saw the Flesh and Blood Tour in 1990. And I'd have to just say it's, a, you know, it was a draw, you know, not that I was even going to count this as a point, but they were both really good live, really solid bands. To me, sounded pretty much like the record. Poison, Poison especially, man, Flesh and Blood, they had those the lasers the laser girls that danced with them and they had green lasers shooting all over the place and they had the poles that they were swinging down i mean it was it was like a jungle gym the 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 stage it was good times man and and like i said same thing with cinderella they put on a great show and they used a lot of the purple lights and everything to kind of you know create that cinderella vibe that everybody knows about but yeah if you go back and watch some of the live performances especially I think you talked about how Cinderella played like Talk is Cheap in 87. You go back and you watch that um, video. I think it's from Tokyo. But anyways, yeah, I mean, that's those are great, great concerts. You know, real tight, competent band. Where, where Poison maybe were also tight, but, you know, maybe a little sloppier because they I think they put more into the show. Exactly. That's the whole thing. And, like, it was a high-energy performance as opposed to uh, trying to be super technical and getting everything down just right like Cinderella. So aesthetic-wise, I think uh, Poison definitely does have the, the wider appeal. So based on our uh, votes here, Cinderella takes the cake. They are at 9, and Poison were at 7. So it was a super close matchup. I pretty much knew that it would be because, like I said, these bands are so similar. Uh, they got such strong musicians, strong songs, just the cream of the crop of the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, these two, I didn't realize the similarities, but yeah, it does make sense. So let me throw this at you. Do you know who sold more records? Who do you think sold more records? Uh, I think it, it has to be Poison. I mean, it's with the singles alone and the MTV exposure, I just have to imagine it's got to be Poison. You are right, man. Poison definitely sold more records. And it's like about a lot. This is just in the United States. They, they probably all sold records all over the world. Uh, and, and this isn't part of it. But in the United States alone, Poison was about uh, 11.5 million. And Cinderella were like 7 million. So, you know, not terrible with Cinderella, but um, not as much as Poison. This is what's cool about it. Debuts in the U.S. both sold 3 million apiece. So they're dead even, right? Now you get to the second albums, and Long Cold Winter's three million, and um, Open Up and Say Ah is five million. So w- big difference there, right? Um, right. And then I talked about that drop off that kind of happened, and I, you know what, man? I think this was kind of happening for everybody, and I don't think as fans, especially if you were like, like there back in the day as a young fan, you you didn't know what albums were selling, you didn't know how much how many units they were pushing. But even as soon as ninety, people talk about like ninety one, ninety two. Even at ninety, you're seeing a drop off because Cinderella only sold one million of Heartbreak Station. That's a big drop. And Poison only sold three million of Flesh and Blood. So, so we're talking; those are pretty big drop-offs from where they were in 1988. The sucky part is hitting the 90s. So, Poison went gold with Native Tongue in 1993, and at this point, still climbing, didn't even certify anything. So, yeah, it's surprising to see, and I just have to imagine that's the grunge influence kind of steering MTV away from a lot of the you know the star-studded glam bands. And so that's unfortunate to see such a big shift, even though the music really didn't change all that much no. in those four years. You, I guess looking back, you don't realize 
you know, how crucial time is, timing is with all this kind of stuff. You know, when you look at Poison, 93 is kind of late, right? They, they pro- you know, I know they lost CC. They probably should have had another album out by 92 um, because things were happening really fast. 93, they did okay, but they were nowhere near what they did in 90. And then just look at one more year out with Cinderella, you know, doesn't even you know it's not even a gold album so it just shows you how these were crucial times you know if these guys could have dialed it back maybe two years uh or a year they might have had maybe an, a million seller or at least a gold album you know what i mean yeah exactly the the lack of uh like if they had the van halen schedule of releasing something once a year they probably would have had a greater <laughs> advantage exactly man well hey this was great i i, I know people will enjoy uh putting their two cents in on this because like I said, they're very similar. They had a they had a similar trajectory. You know what I mean? They they kind of came out right at the same time. Were big in the same era. You know, were loved by MTV. Toured through all the same years, and then kind of bottomed out about at the same time. So definitely very similar careers. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh, it's, it's sad to see it. You know, but but there was plenty of good records and plenty of deep tracks for people to discover. For sure, brother. Well, hey, always a pleasure talking with you, man. You take care. Hey, you too, man. Thank you, Mike. Well, that was a fun one, talking some glam metal with Aaron. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Rock on!